It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As I say, it is a, a cloudy start for many of us this morning. But good reports coming out of West Cork to say the sun is already uh, shining. It seems it's shining in Bantry and the sun is starting to uh, break also in Inchidani. So it looks like it's the sun is coming in from the west and it will move to the rest of the province as we go through the day because we are being promised some nice sunny weather later on uh, today. And this should be the start of this high that's moving up over the country with uh, tomorrow the temperature's going even uh, higher and then of course we've got a great outlook uh, for the weekend uh, Saturday, lar- dry sunny day, if there's anything you need to be doing outdoors, make sure that you do it on uh, Saturday and then into Sunday the temperatures are going to get even warmer, they could go up high, as high as 24 degrees on Sunday and now we're starting to get the outlook as we go into next uh, week, Monday looks like being a right scorcher, 25 degrees in some areas and the current projections show that rain will arrive on uh, Tuesday but then we should return to dry conditions from Wednesday of next week and the temperatures right across next week are going to remain above average for this time of year. But the downside to that is the knock-on effect will be we'll have very warm and muggy nights which a lot of people don't like. Our lines are open 0818 103 103. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We are are awaiting our political editor Sean Defoe uh, to join us on the programme this morning. There's so much to talk about from a political point of view but obviously everybody's looking for Sean this morning because the news has broken this morning that the Prime Minister Boris Johnson will make a statement to the country later today uh, and he is following reports that he is to resign as the Conservative leader. Now that does mean he will remain as Prime Minister until his successor is in place and it seems that won't happen until the Conservative Party conference which isn't due to happen until October so he will be around until uh, October. It seems that Boris Johnson spoke to the chairman of the Conservative 1922 committee and they're the people who decide what happens within the Conservative uh, party and he agreed to stand uh, down and but would stay in place until a new leader was voted in in October. Uh, he will make a statement later on to the country and everyone will be watching to see what will be contained in that particular uh, statement and of course earlier this morning we had the Northern Ireland Secretary Brandon Lewis. He was the latest to 
to uh, resign and he told Boris Johnson that the government requires honesty, integrity and mutual respect and it had now gone past the point of no uh, return and of course Brandon Lewis's departure followed a string of other ministers and a number of MPs quitting the government. I mean, up to yesterday they were into the, I think the low 50s I think is the number that have resigned. But I'm assuming now with the statement coming from Boris Johnson, we won't see any more resignations. Michael in Castletown Bear, who's a keen watcher of what happens in Westminster, was on, uh, was, is on already by WhatsApp to say, Patricia, after 55 MPs resigned from government and the UK brought to its knees in just two and a half years, Boris Johnson is eventually forced out of number 10. His dream of going on as Prime Minister into the 2030s was just a fairy tale. Over my lifetime, says Michael, I clearly remember every Prime Minister and none stands out like Boris Johnson for his behaviour, which was so unbecoming of anybody in that office. The damage he's done to the UK at home and worldwide is unreal. He followed Donald Trump every step step of the way, even to the point of not accepting defeat like Trump. He has left the country in a complete mess for his predecessors to try and clean up. Thank you, New. And that's Michael in Castletown Bear, who then sent on another text to say 57 MPs now. And then a final one says, sorry, Patricia, it's now at 59 MPs. So we will wait and see uh, what breaks from that. And of course, we've a lot to discuss from a political point of view from here in our own uh, country. When the government yesterday technically lost its majority and we'll speak with Sean Defoe our political correspondent as to what that actually means for the government uh, going forward. Now they say a week is a long time in politics and if that be the case I think there's many politicians both here in Ireland and across the water in England will be glad to see the back of this one to talk about what unfolded yesterday with the Dáil technically losing its majority and also to fill us in on what's happening in Westminster I'm joined by our political correspondent Correspondent Sean Defoe. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Sean. Uh, morning. Do, do you want to take a bet now on how many people will resign in the time that we're chatting? Or? It's just incredible. Let's okay. Let's start by casting a cold eye over what is happening in Westminster. Ha, I mean, have you ever seen a more defiant prime minister as Boris than Boris Johnson? <laughs> no, I can't say I have. Uh, I've never seen anything quite like it. I don't think anyone has. That you get this situation where the jig is very clearly up. He's already kind of squeaked through a number of scandals in his premiership to date. And then you get this situation where senior members of his cabinet are going. To, usually that would do it for any PM, for any leader. Same for a Taoiseach. If there was a sort of a mass resignation, that would do it. Uh, it doesn't. He digs in the heels. He appoints replacements. And then in less than 36 hours, those replacements turn around and stab them in the back and say, actually, yeah, we think you should go as well. Imagine being appointed to a job and less than 36 hours later saying, actually, I think the boss who appointed me should be fired. It's quite extraordinary and seems to have been a turning point this morning on top of everything else. The Northern Ireland Secretary, Brandon Lewis, resigning. Michael Gove last night um, being sacked instead of resigning. I saw one comment that he was sort of, uh, you know, the way when these things happen, there tends to be a minister or a senior person in the administration who goes to the leader, goes to the PM and says, look, the time is up. And they call it the moment of the revolver and the bottle of whiskey. And so one UK commentator saying, instead of doing the traditional thing and resigning, Boris Johnson drank the whiskey and turned the revolver on Michael Gove. <laughs> so he actually sacked him because because he thought that Gove had the cheek to come and ask him to resign. That was almost what was insinuated. 
Essentially, and Gove didn't say this publicly, Gove was one of the few who didn't actively resign himself, but went to Boris Johnson privately and said, look, the jig is up here, you need to go. And Boris Johnson then sacked him and released a statement from number 10 calling him a snake, and that he was undermining him all the time. Now, Boris Johnson and Michael Gove have previous, Gove did stab him in the back in the, the his first bid, uh, Boris Johnson's first bid of leadership, the one that Theresa May won, where he supported him initially and then reversed his support midway through the campaign, sort of torpedoing it. So there's always been a bit of afters between the two of them. And then it looked as though Johnson was very, very much going to try and dig in the heels in the front page of the Sun today in the UK. If you want to uh, get rid of me, you'll have to get blood on your hands, was essentially the message that was being sent. And then this morning, that other wake of resignations, Brandon Lewis, and also the, the new appointments finally turning on him to the point of where Boris Johnson doesn't have the numbers to even fill jobs that are vacant and that we understand he's going to make a statement now at some point today and resign. Yeah, I know we've I have one of our listeners down in, in Castletown Bear, Michael, who keenly watches what goes on in Westminster. He's telling me 59 now is where we're at on resignations. And a, lo- a lot of them were high profile uh, resignations as well. OK, so he will resign today, but he continues as prime minister. Well, that's what the word was initially, that he wants to continue as prime minister while a leadership contest continues to go. But there's been a lot of pushback to that from Tory MPs and indeed the general uh, Westminster apparatchiks, if you like. Dominic Cummings, obviously his former advisor, tweeting to say you need to evict today or he'll cause carnage. Even now he's playing for time and will try to stay and that uh, Dominic Rabb should be interim PM by the evening. So there is this bit of a push on now to make sure that when Boris Johnson resigns today, he is gone because they're thinking of all the carnage that a lame duck Boris Johnson could cause in two or three months when he's still there. We've seen what he is well capable of doing as Prime Minister with support. And it also raises the question of if all of these people are not happy to serve in a cabinet or as a minister for Boris Johnson, uh, would that change when he resigns? Do they put aside their moral issues because now there are jobs in a new administration going and begging and sort of fill out this interim role? Could the government even function? So even the manner of his resignation is still being debated as we speak. Do you think, well, they won't come out publicly, uh, but privately, that the Irish government will be happy to see Boris Johnson go? I think it will depend on who replaces him, but overall, yes, I think so. Now, as I say, they're not going to say that publicly. Relations with the UK are at an all-time low. There's no secret about that. While there was a sense that Boris Johnson himself didn't particularly have a strong opinion on Northern Ireland, either way, that he was just sort of trying to get Brexit done and as a man who was really only ever trying to look after his own legacy, a lot of um, him trying to do that involves making soft to the kind of hard right in his party, the real Eurosceptics. Even a couple of weeks ago when he survived that initial motion of no confidence, that seemed to be on the back of making promises to Jacob Rees-Mogg and those in his party that there would be changes to the Northern Ireland Protocol and that he would publish this legislation to undermine parts of the protocol. Now, that could change potentially under a new leader, depending on who is in, who maybe just literally, as Boris Johnson might have said, wants to get a deal done. But if someone like Liz Truss, who up to date is back Boris Johnson, she seems to be trying to make her career on undermining the Northern Ireland Protocol and on getting that sorted. So it really does depend. It puts everything on a bit shaky ground as well. But I thought, I thought it was uh, interesting that even in the last few minutes since Boris Johnson, and since the news has come out that he's announced his resignation, both the pound, the value of the pound has risen and stocks in the UK have risen. So the markets are sort of <laughs> taking a, a positive reaction to it. Oh, that, that in itself is telling, uh, is it not? OK, so we will await with bated breath uh, to, to see what this statement is going to be like from uh, from Boris Johnson. Do you think it will be done like an address to the nation? 
I would imagine so. I think oh. it'll be the podium outside of uh, number 10 Downing Street in the same way that David Cameron and Theresa May both had to do theirs for very different reasons. So I imagine the tone of Boris Johnson may be slightly different to the, the tearful goodbye we got from Theresa May last time. It'll be fun to watch uh, for sure. And then I'll bring you back to home and so much unfolded yesterday. A lot of our listeners are picking up on the news that broke yesterday that the Tánaiste Leo Varadkar uh, will not now be prosecuted for the leaking of the government document. Huge weight off the Tánaiste's shoulders. Yeah, big relief in Fine Gael very much last night because there had been huge questions that had been summer break in particular. Uh, it was going to be a very tight turnaround from coming back in September for the Dáil recess into the budget and then potentially into the changeover of government and the changeover of Taoiseach at the end of the year with this still hanging over. This clears all that up. There's nowhere really the opposition can take this again because the DPP has decided that the Tónaiste has no case to answer for his leaking and, and disclosure of a document to the then president of the NAGP. Varadkar has issued a pretty fiery statement this morning actually coming out and firing at his critics saying that he did not, uh, nothing wrong. What he did was lawful and in the public interest even though the way he did it was somewhat inappropriate, um, said the allegations that were against him were nothing more, uh, were false if they said they were anything more than error made by sworn political opponents of me and my party and that those who made those allegations went to extraordinary lengths to publish them. So really coming out swinging on the back of it. But he is now back in control. He's, he's gained a lot of political capital in the last 24 hours despite losing Joe McHugh because now there is no question to Leo Varadkar's leadership in the short term. Any of those who were maybe hoping to eye it up the likes of potentially Pascal Donoghue or Simon Coveney as the stalwarts of the cabinet or the, the new upstarts, if you like, in Simon Harris and Helen McEntee will have to take their step back. Leo Riker will take over as Taoiseach in, on December uh, 15th and lead the latter half of this government, however long that lasts. OK, and of course, while he was very much welcoming and pleased with, the, uh, the, with that particular news, the government technically lost its majority last night. Now, as you mentioned, Donegal TD Joe McHugh resigned the Fine Gael party whip and this was over the MICA le- uh, legislation, really proving that all politics is local, isn't it? Well, absolutely, yeah. It, it now leaves Charlie McConnell, the Fianna Fáil Minister, the only one of five TDs in Donegal who was actually backing this legislation. Um, now, interesting, you didn't see the likes of, say, Derek Leary and Mayo had concerns with it uh, going over that issue, or indeed Michael Ring, they decided to stick the course. Joe McHugh is in a, a much different situation, I think. He had already decided he's not going to contest the next general election, saying he wants to spend more time with his family after a, a long few years in government, including a stint as the Education Minister. And at last night, he felt there wasn't enough of debate given to the Michael bill. It was actually rushed through all the final stages of it in just two hours, one of five bills that were squeezed into five hours in sort of an incredible clear the decks moment of the doll ahead of their summer recess. It is a big loss for the government. I think it's going to be very difficult for Fine Gael to retain that seat in the next general election. But even before that, it means technically their current majority is, or the current numbers is 79, which is one short of the doll majority. Now, in reality, Things are slightly different. The government isn't going to collapse uh, right at this second over this issue. Joe McHugh will probably vote with the government on quite a few issues. The opposition benches, the two exiled Green TDs, Nasa Horrigan and Patrick Costello, are due to come back into the fold in November and again have been voting with the government on those issues and a number of independents sort of crop in as well. The Michael Lowry's and Noel Greedish's and Cahill Berry's of this world tend to support the government on a case-by-case basis. But it does raise the spectre that if there is a particularly controversial vote, particularly one potentially around the budget, in what is arguably the most important budget we've had in quite a few years, given how much people are suffering, 
I don't think those votes can be 100% guaranteed on, particularly Costello and Nasser Hurrigan. They're not necessarily enthusiastic supporters of the government, even though they're members of the Green Party, campaigned against going into government and voted against them on a maternity hospital bill, which is why they were exiled in the first place. So, yeah, it's very shaky ground. And given that over the usual course of government business, you can sort of expect to lose a TD or two over a year or two years. You wonder, is it going to become a much bigger problem? Maybe not now but a year or, or, or uh, so down the line, which would potentially end the coalition early. Because what, there's two and a half years left, isn't there? Due to be two and a half years yeah. left. Now, in reality, the government formed in June of 2020, so they could go into 2025, have sort of a spring, early summer election, then maybe the end of 2024, if you were just to pick the date. But how, whether or not that would get to full term, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to predict at this stage. OK, because now, they now certainly are, are on even shakier ground. An amazing uh, 24 hours uh, for sure on the political scene, uh, Sean. You certainly were kept busy. Thank you for that and thanks once again for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having Good me. Good morning to you. you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor. 0818103103. John Paul is taking calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. As we heard yesterday from a survey conducted by the Irish League of Credit Unions, the cost of living crisis is pushing more parents into debt just to meet the rising costs of going back to school, with almost one third of families saying they're unable to pay the costs this year. To talk about how the cost of living crisis is impacting on children, I'm joined by Steve Moffat, who is National Policy Officer with Bernardo's. Uh, good morning to you, Steve. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks you, for having me on. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Now, we had the government announce this week an increase in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance, an extra €100 Euro per, uh, per child. Will that make a big difference? Will it make any difference? No, no, we, we believe, like, we really welcome this uh, and it should make a sizable difference to, you know, the families that we work with. We're seeing staff uh, who've, you know, repeatedly been saying that the cost of living increases, you know, making a lot of our families really struggle to afford daily essentials. But what they've been uh, sort of banging on, banging the drum about is we won't see, the families won't see the real impact of this until back-to-school costs come into play because they haven't been able to, say, put away any money uh, at all whatsoever. They've cut back to the bone but there's not no money there for back to school costs. So this additional hundred euro will go some way to, you know, helping families make sure that all children have new uniforms and new uh, uh, new, new uh, shoes going back to school. But there's still a lot more the government could do. You know, families will still be struggling. Uh, there's a lot more. Uh, government could be doing immediately to help around back to school costs. Yeah, and of course, uh, when I mentioned it was the Irish League of uh, Credit Unions where it were, conducted their survey, they look at how much it costs to go back to school. And it, particularly if you're in a school that doesn't have book rental, for example, it's astronomical costs. You know, even with the, the, the generous, what the government would say is a generous back to school clothing and footwear allowance, it can, comes nowhere near the true cost for a family. No, absolutely. I mean, parents, particularly if you're looking at parents who are struggling uh, and have been struggling for the last six months, if you've got three children that are going uh, into secondary school in September, you're talking that could be a couple of thousand euro. Uh, and where are families going to get that? And as you rightly point out that um, cost of books is, is often the, the highest expense uh, that uh, parents will have to fork out. And, you know, we believe that within this country, we're 
all children are entitled to a free education. And we don't believe that, you know, the cost of books should be piling additional pressures on families who are already struggling. You know, we've always said that there's, you know, for, for the governments to roll out, you know, they, they piloted free school books. and uh, We think they could roll that out nationally to make sure that, you know, all children are, are, are getting a free education within this country and there's, there's no children going without school books or families really uh, worrying about where they're going to get the money to pay for and I know, Steve, one of the ones that we hear about every year, and I have a feeling we're going to hear a lot more about it this year, but it doesn't kick in until the children go back to school in September. And that's the, in inverted commas, voluntary contribution that the schools look for. We hear from, from parents who feel under huge pressure to pay that when they literally don't have it. And we're constantly saying to them, engage with the school, you know, let the school know what's going on. And they're afraid that their children uh, will somehow be treated differently if they don't pay the money. And some schools actually put pressure on parents to pay it. Yeah, and I suppose there's direct and indirect pressures. We know that what we what we would be concerned about, I suppose, is that you know this additional hundred euro that the government's given per child, that that ends up going on the voluntary contributions because families, as you as you say, they're frightened that you know if they don't pay uh, the contribution, that their children might be treated slightly differently. Or where we see it a lot, you know, that the people within communities are frightened that if they don't pay uh, make the payments, that um, that the local schools are going to you know, understand that they're really struggling and uh, they don't want uh, people to know that. Mm. Um, you know, particularly yeah. in close communities and, and in a lot of rural areas that we would support, um, you know, they're really aware of that. So, yeah, we, we agree that, look, something has to be done around voluntary contributions. It's been a system in place for, you know, decades and there's been re- really no progress around that. Families shouldn't feel compelled to pay uh, a contribution to keep the lights on within the school. We understand that principals do have a hard choice to make. Um, you know, and it's certainly something we know that most principals we talk to, they don't like having to go out to parents. And, you know, the answer to this is the Department of Education properly funding schools uh, and making sure that, you know, no parent feels any sort of uh, reservation about, you know, well, we haven't paid this. And so we're actually a bit apprehensive about going into the school because, the principal might know we haven't paid the voluntary contributions and we think that's you know unfair on parents and unfair on children. Absolutely, absolutely. We had the summer economic uh, statement on uh, Monday and you know we know the social welfare will increase when the budget gets announced at the end of September. Too far away, Steve, would you say for many families? Uh, well, we would be saying, look, you know, we understand that you know, the government is, is trying to stick to what it always set out in terms of budgets, you know, further down the line. But there are immediate steps that they can be doing. Um, you know, there's, there's more that they certainly could be putting in place. Um, and we would say that, you know, when the budget does come out, it, it needs to be focused on and tar- targeted at those on the lowest incomes. One of the things that we're finding uh, repeatedly across services, you know, dotted across the country, is families coming to us looking for vouchers for food, families who would never have done that in the past. And that's because they're running out of income. And we need to have a system in which families can get access to emergency income quickly. And unfortunately, at the moment, um, that mechanism that is there, the additional needs payments, it's too slow. It's inaccessible. It's not in communities as much as it could be. Uh, so families, you know, they're running out of money on a Thursday, not getting money until the following Monday. They need somewhere to go. Um, And we believe the government could be doing something around that, you know, prior to the budget coming in, uh, making it more accessible to the community welfare officers. That, you know, families who are really struggling with food, electricity, heat, 
they they've so much to go in their local communities where they can know they can get uh, other other than the Vincent de Paul and organisations like ourselves where they know they can get support around income to pay for those essential means. Yeah, I'm interested to hear you say people are coming to you who have never come to you for, for vouchers for food before. Uh, we spoke only yesterday, funny enough, with the societies of Vincent de Paul. They spoke about the same thing and they spoke about people being embarrassed to reach out for help and people coming and saying, look, we're working. We didn't think we were entitled to get any help from, from charities. And of course, when they're working, they shouldn't need to go and get help from charities. But unfortunately, that is the reality. Energy costs, Steve, uh, are crippling uh, for many. The, the fuel allowance uh, scheme, when we speak about it, you know, we hear of the people who are not entitled to the fuel allowance. Does that need to be expanded in some way? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we would share views with, uh, you know, their partner organisations like the say, Vincent de Paul, uh, that, you know, the extension this year is really positive and should continue on, um, but also that it should be widened. For example, families on working uh, payments, um, they should be entitled, uh, the threshold should be changed so more families can benefit from it, making sure that fewer children are living in unheated homes. But we also think there's a role to play with, uh, with the energy regulator in terms of uh, the energy providers. You know, they do do some positive work around, you know, low-income families and people are struggling to, to meet their energy costs, but we definitely think they should go further. We don't believe it's fair that uh, a family with multiple children living in cold homes are paying higher tariffs because they may be unaware of, you know, being able to change uh, providers every 12 months. Uh, they might be aware of, uh, or they might be having to use prepay meters. And that, that, by the way, is the most expensive way to get your to get your electricity, isn't it? Those no, ab- top up meters. Absolutely, and you know, it's it's you know, it's, it's a real uh, unfairness that families who can least afford it are paying often paying the highest amount yeah. than other families who can can afford or have higher incomes who are paying lower tariffs. And we think there's a role that the government and the regulator can play to try and address that. You know, without. Uh, having a serious impact on, on the sector as a whole. OK, just on voluntary uh, contributions, uh, Rose says a member for family uh, simply found themselves financially unable to pay the voluntary contribution in the local school. And this family member went to the school uh, to explain. And the principal says, well, if you can't uh, pay it in a lump sum, then you can pay it off by paying it 10 or 20 euro a week. Completely missed the point that this family is struggling and doesn't have any additional cash and uh, felt um, that they had to pay it. And they paid it in installments, which is which is dreadful. And then or as I can't understand why one shop is chosen for uniforms uh, we keep hearing about monopolies and competition uh, yet there is no competition in our local school we have to go to one shop and one shop only now that's another issue that comes up every year why parents can't just go and get a generic uniform yeah, and that's that's something we, we've long advocated for. The government has introduced a circular that says to schools and makes a suggestion to all schools that they should have, uh, you know, apply non-branded uniforms and, and, and iron-on crests. But the issue is that a lot of schools decide not to adopt that. Mm. And we don't think that's right. We think schools, all schools, should be forced or compelled to offer affordable uniforms. You know, and, and if within those schools there's families who want to pay for a more expensive uniform, then we could look at that down the line. But we don't think it's right that there is, you know, that boards of management are making decisions, you know, that perhaps they themselves haven't had to go through um, the, the difficulties and the, the financial struggles to pay for expensive uniforms. We don't think that's right. We think it should be 
you know, non-branded, uh, multiple options of where families go to get their uniforms. Uh, they shouldn't be worried about, oh, well, I can't pay, buy a new pair of trousers because it's too expensive. I can't buy a new jumper this year because, or if a, if a jumper rips halfway through the year or it's lost, where am I going to get the money for that? Yeah, um, and we know we know the way the, we know the way children go through uh, clothes, uh, especially little boys. I mean, you could end up buying a few of those jumpers uh, throughout the year. And Molly says our school, outside of having a branded jumper, which you can only buy from the school, uh, they've also this year introduced uh, branded tracksuits. Um, I'm 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 really annoyed about it because I've got three boys attending that school and it's going to work out very expensive this year. Okay, listen, uh, Steve Bernardos, you're 60 years supporting and working with children. I, I take it your staff have never seen so many people struggling as they're seeing at the moment. Well, I've I've been out to services over the last couple of weeks and I was out in a service yesterday and work, uh, chatting to um, a project uh, staff who who's been working with the organisation over 25 years. And she was saying, look, she hasn't seen stuff like this in the entire time that she's she's been working uh, with the organisation. You know, we're, the fact that we're having people who, you know, we would have supported four or five years ago, but haven't been working with since then. We're knocking on our doors because we know we they know we give out food vouchers. You know, that's that's not come up before. Um, you know, families are really struggling. And, you know, the, the families that we support are, you know, are used to having to struggle, uh, many of them. Uh, are used to having to struggle and you know they absolutely graft and they come up with different budgeting plans um, but you know we haven't seen them hit this level of breaking point and families coming to us and really saying look they're really struggling to cope and these are families uh, you know who have built really strong coping mechanisms uh, but we haven't seen this level of you know this constant struggle uh, in which families you know dealing with with additional issues as well and these financial struggles make it even harder for them to deal with those additional issues. You know, it compounds parental mental health issues. Uh, it compounds uh, tensions within the home. And the longer that a child lives within lives within a home where those issues are going on with poverty compounding and deprivation compounding, the worse it's going to have on their futures. Uh, and we know that childhood lasts a lifetime. Uh, so we think, look, the more that's done immediately to make sure fewer children are being pulled into that uh, cycle, the better. God help them. God help them. Listen, you're doing amazing work in Bernardo's. Keep it up, uh, Steve. And thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Good Good morning to you. Bye bye. Steve Moffat there, National Policy Officer with Bernardo's. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. C103's Irish Sunday is the big show on your radio. Sunday mornings from 10. Four hours of all-time favourites from Clean Hagen to Mike Denver. Susan McCann to Derek Ryan. And Daniel O'Donnell to Nathan Carter. It's Cork's greatest hits, guaranteed. And everyone is Irish. Join us Sunday mornings from 10am. Irish Sunday on C103. Now, just 220,000 new personal bank accounts have been opened so far this year, despite the impending closure of around 1 million bank accounts in the coming months due to the exit of Ulster Bank and KBC from the Irish market. To discuss switching banks, I'm joined by Dara Cassidy, Head of Communications at the Price Comparison website, bankers.ie. Good morning to you, Dara. Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome to the programme. Are you surprised that such a big number of customers haven't already switched or are some just waiting until the last minute? 
Uh, yes and no. To be honest, I actually thought the number might be even smaller. Um, there's around maybe 500,000 people that need to switch current accounts. The numbers differ depending on who you talk to, as not everyone who has a current account with Ulster Bank and KBC will necessarily need to switch. Some people might have two current accounts and they might simply just close their Ulster Bank accounts or their KBC accounts and then start using maybe their AIB accounts instead. Um, but I think people are probably maybe leaving it until the last minute. Some people, um, they're worried about the stress and the hassle. And um, like a lot of things in Ireland, you know, Irish people we tend to want to leave things until the last minute. My advice to any listeners who are impacted is to try to take action as soon as possible. As the absolute last thing you want to be without is a current account to not be able to get paid. And um, I don't want to frighten people, you know, it's not the most difficult or cumbersome thing you're ever going to have to do in your life. But it does take a little bit of effort. It's a little bit of work that needs to be done. And, and, does it, and, I'm, and I'm assuming it takes a little bit of time. It isn't as easy as, say, when we switch electricity provider that can be just done online or done over a phone call. There's a bit of work involved in switching a bank. There is. And the main thing that will really impact people is moving over to direct debits and the standing orders. So it's very, very easy to open up, actually, a new account for most people. Now, different bank processes differ. And if you're trying to open up a joint account or if you are from outside the EU and have a non-EU passport, you may have a little bit more difficulty and that you may need to go to a branch and make an appointment. That can take some time. But most of the banks allow you to open an account quickly and easily online in the space for a few minutes. Uh, the problems or the, I suppose the thing that takes a bit of time is then moving over all of those direct debits, standing orders, and then updating people who pay money into your account. So, and you, you have to do all of that yourself? Well, this is where it gets a bit complicated. There are two ways of switching current accounts. There is what's technically called the central bank switching code. In theory, when you use this code, your new bank and your old bank are supposed to work together to um, move over your direct debits and your standing orders. It tends not to work perfectly in that direct debits and standing orders often get missed. And what happens is when your bank then maybe goes to update, let's say, Electric Ireland or Board Gosh or maybe Aviva with account details, sometimes the supplier or the utility provider says, no, we can only speak to Patricia, for example. So it just gets a bit messy. And I actually did it myself a few years ago. I put my money where my mouth is. I moved from AIB to permanent tier speed when they brought in fees. And I technically used the switching code. But to be honest, after a few days, I just needed to start ringing up suppliers myself. I'd start giving them my, the details myself as it was kind of dragging on for too long. Mm. So m- my advice... Do it yourself. Uh, yeah, and at least by doing it yourself, you know you know that it's been done because the big worry would be direct debits uh, bouncing and, and, you know, people missing payments because I know Age Action are already out there worried that maybe some of the older customers might not be aware of what of the impending bank closures and they've got a fear factor that they could end up missing payments and not paying bills. Yeah, and that can impact your credit record. That can cost you money. So Air, for example, just recently increased its missed payment fee to over €18. Euro. So if a payment is missed, you know, another €18 euro goes on to your account, which is absolutely, I think, insane. It's really, really high. So my advice to people is just get that new account up and running as quick as possible. So at least if someone needs to pay money into your account, you have an account that's there. You can then ask, um, Ulster Bank or KBC to just give you a list of all your direct debits. Some people will know 
easily exactly all the money that goes out. Others won't. But KBC and Ulster Bank, they will still, you know, help you even if you don't use the switching code. And then, like I said, just, you know, over the next few days, at your leisure, just ring up the electricity supplier, the gas provider, and just get those details changed over. And hopefully it shouldn't take too much time. Um, And then... You know, maybe if you're an older customer, getting set up with things such as, uh, you know, online banking might cause a little bit of issue as well. Then hopefully there should be some support there. Maybe a friend or family member will help you out or hopefully the, you know, your new bank can help you out a little bit as well. But the last thing, Patricia, that you want is that your account closes and then you haven't got a new account open. And, yeah, and, then, the, and then the panic uh, uh, begins. And I mean, I, and I saw that the main retail banks, they've launched uh, a new website with a, a step-by-step guide for switching. I mean, that, that obviously will help people. Yes, and I'd encourage people to, to check that out. So the BPFI, the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland, has launched that, obviously, this information on bonkers.ie as well. And I would say go into Ulster Bank and KBC, you know, chat to them. Just because I'm saying not to use the switching code, that's not to say that I'm saying that the banks, you know, shouldn't be interacted with or that the banks aren't doing anything. It's just a slightly easier way, I think, of getting your account moved. Um, just a little watch out, though, is that no matter what way you switch or open a new account, no one can tell your employer other than you of your new account details. So just make sure that you do that yourself. It's the same when it comes to social welfare or anyone else that pays money into your account. You need to do that. Yes, um, to, make sure that, to make sure that you get paid. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the last thing you, you want to make sure um, <laughs> that, that that doesn't go wrong. Also, just remember things like sometimes you know, with Amazon Prime membership, Netflix, the N50 toll, just remember to update those. They're yeah. not direct debits. They're called recurring payments and they're actually linked to your debit card oh, as opposed okay. to your account number. And even if you use the switching code, they can't be moved over because, like I said, they're not direct debits. They're called recurring payments. And this is another reason why I kind of say the switching code really is, is kind of not really worth it because some of the payments can't be used or can't just don't fall under it and then sometimes you end up having to ring the supplier yourself. Okay, so, so that's there, just a watch out. Yeah, there certainly is a bit of work there and we're talking about people opening up new current uh, accounts. It's not just the main retail banks, a lot of the credit unions now, I know a lot of our local credit unions here have started opening current accounts. Yeah, so it, it's not just the main ones as you said, because obviously Bank of Ireland, AIB, Permanent, TSB, and they probably will in all honesty take the lion's share of the market, but on Pusk has a current account now so does the credit union. And then, of course, there's the online-only banks, such as N26 and Revolut. Um, now, some people might find that that's not the account for them, and an online-only bank may not be suitable for a lot of people. But it's another choice that's out there in case people want to give it a go. A little bit of a watch out, though, is that ESB, um, so the EBS, um, has an account as well. And they're obviously a subsidiary of AIB, and some people might use them because it's a very, very cheap account, but they're actually considering leaving the current account market as well. So just to watch out if you go to them, um, if you go to the EBS, because the last thing you want is to be moving. Back and then to it all again. And I'm kind of a bit angry, Patricia, with the, the regulator and the Central Bank here, because I think really EBS and AIB needs to be a lot more explicit that they're doing this review. And I don't think they are. And I'm afraid that there's actually a good few people that are going to move to them and then find themselves stuck in, in a few months' time because, 
you know, given the numbers, 500,000 or maybe 400,000 people that need to move, even if only a very, very small percentage move to EBS, you're still looking at maybe hundreds or thousands of people who are going to be impacted. So just a watch out for people. Um, but certainly, like I said, there's a lot of providers there. Um, do your research, you know, think and consider what it is you want in the account. Is it fees? Because ARB's fees are quite high. If you want to avoid fees, maybe you want to go to someone else. Maybe having a branch network close to you is important. Maybe it's customer service. Maybe it's the mobile app. All the accounts are a little bit different. There's no one perfect account. Okay. All right. Listen, uh, Dara, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you for talking to us today. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Dara Cassidy, who is the head of communications at price comparison website, bonkers.ie. Melissa is currently in the process of switching. She's an Ulster Bank customer. However, just a word of warning when switching online, all the banks asked for ID. You can provide either your passport or your driving license. Melissa opted to use her driving license and she's just received correspondence back saying to pick a time and a date and she has to go into a local bank branch in person. The main reason is that the picture on the driving licence, the automated system couldn't pick up the picture. It's because of the harp which is imprinted over the picture on your driving licence. It's the newer issued driving licence. So Melissa's advice if you are about to switch, maybe choose your passport as it will speed up the process. Thank you for that, uh, Melissa. Okay, we need to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurances Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of commentary coming in. Let's take a look at some of your calls to the programme this morning. On the political scene, John said, there is a fascination with the Irish media about Boris Johnson leaving. And then Leo Varadkar got away with it again, according to John. If Leo did what he did across the water, it would have been big headlines. If Leo did what he did in a private capacity within the private sector, he would have been gone and he would have been John felt in front of a judge what it was the DPP says he's no case to answer and he said isn't it a great country that another politician is getting away with it Tim in Toker thinks that the UK are losing a fantastic Prime Minister the opposition is just using him in reference to drink and parties etc and other people's behaviour and then they're blaming Boris Johnson Tim in Toker we have a Boris Johnson fan in our midst he says I think the world is on the brink of a recession I think a lot of people will agree with you on that at him and he feels that Boris Johnson leaving is the worst thing that could happen in uh, Britain well if that be the case the, how do you explain that the pound strengthened and the US stocks rose immediately on the back of reports that the Prime Minister Boris Johnson was planning to resign so the stock market certainly isn't agreeing with you James Imbrury says the DPP is appointed by the government so I don't think anyone expected the result to go any other way whereas look at the UK there was uproar over for integrity. Nothing seems to change in this country. It just keeps happening over and over again. So some people not happy with the outcome. And then someone else, um, oh, Jennifer says, Patricia, can you remind us what the Leo the Leak story is all about that we're talking about today with the DPP? I can. I should to check the date on this one. It was the investigation began after Leo Varadkar confirmed that in 2019 he leaked a copy of it was the proposed GP contract which had been agreed between the government and Department of Health I'm assuming 
probably the HSE. It had been agreed between them and the Irish Medical Organisation. He leaked it to his friend, Dr Matthew O'Toole. Now, Matthew O'Toole at the time was president of the rival and what is now defunct National Association of General Practi- Practitioners. And then there was, it got published, I think it was Village Magazine were the first to publish about the fact that Leo had leaked this to his friend who was in a rival GP organisation. So there was months and months of a guard investigation. Sizable case, case file was passed on to the Director of Public Prosecution and the DPP confirmed last night no, prosecu- no prosecution will be pursued arising from the um, uh, case. And uh, obviously that came as a huge relief to Leo Varadkar um, and I think a huge relief to all the three parties because everyone was waiting this to take an exceptionally long time and the DPP didn't very quickly make a decision on uh, this. They poured he, the, 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 the Director of Public Prosecution would have poured over what was as I say a very sizable case uh, file. They tarnished that Leo Varadkar in his defence had always maintained that he committed no crime and that the allegations against him he says were false, they were politically motivated. He previously apologised. What he said was an error of judgment because he did admit passing on the contract to Dr Matthew O'Toole um, but he says that he passed it on in a confidential basis believing that it was going to be published in its entirety in a very short space of time so he didn't think he was doing anything wrong and the DPP has now agreed with him but not everyone is very happy about that. Obviously Leo Radgar, one of the people who's thrilled about it. And then someone sent in um, Hopefully that that explains it to you, uh, Jennifer. That's the background to it. It's back to 2019. And then Anne says, Patricia, do you know that Old Moore's Almanac has predicted that we'll have a female Taoiseach before the end of the year? Well, Anne, I hope that Leo Varadkar is listening to us this morning because Leo Varadkar is due to take over as Taoiseach in mid-December. That's under that coalition deal that was struck between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Green Party. They struck that in uh, 2020. So it's Leo Varadkar is due to uh, take over and I think now that the DPP has decided not to uh, prosecute nothing standing in the way of Leo Varadkar taking over from Micheál Martin at the end of the year 0818 103 103 some of your whatsapps in staying with what's going on in Westminster and uh, Micah says Prish I can't understand those who expect Boris Johnson to stay on as Prime Minister until October the man doesn't have a functioning cabinet or government he's even failed this morning to fill the vacancies who wants to be in cabinet or in government for a few hours and have the stain of Johnson tagged on to them forevermore sad sad state he's left the Tories in but there was no choice but there was and that was their choice there's no coming that's now coming back to haunt them and actually somebody's picking up on that but somebody is saying Boris Johnson couldn't wait for Theresa May to go now he's gone be careful what you wish for says this uh, texter thank you for that and then on a couple of other issues we were talking about the price of going back to school back to school costs and all of that and it led to people talking about generic uniforms and that all schools and I know the government and the Department of Education had sent out a circular to schools many years ago saying to them you know allow parents in your school to be able to go into the local department store and if it's a navy pair of trousers they can buy the trousers anywhere or a navy jumper or pinafore whatever it is whereas some schools insist on a crested 
jumper and then even more schools now have a branded and a crested tracksuit which obviously is an additional expense. Ellen says she remembers her cousins who lived in Dublin and their mother used to sew the crest onto the uniform. Ellen says she clearly remembers her cousins used to be mortified going into school because their jumpers stood out because what the mother was meant to do was buy the crested jumper from a particular school, obviously, in or a particular shop in Dublin. But what she did was she carefully cut, bought the jumpers initially and then carefully cut out the crest and then sewed it on to the new jumper that she was able to buy, um, obviously, in a department store. And it, it was able to buy it much cheaper, but it did look different then when the, her, the cousins went to school. But Ellen said in her aunt's defence she had six of them to put through school she simply couldn't afford to be buying new jumpers every year good on the aunt a bit of initiative been uh, used and I don't know maybe maybe some people are doing that today I don't know and then as soon as we mentioned the back to school clothing and footwear allowance people from that squeezed middle saying you know husbands working earning too much but not not enough Uh, not enough to leave us feeling comfortable at the moment is how one person put it really struggling to try to get the money together for the back to school costs already trying to cut back week by week throughout the summer months in order to have the money for September why are we the squeeze middle never get a look in when it comes to the back to school clothing and footwear allowance well I know the Minister for Education Norma Foley suggested that the eligibility criteria for the back to school allowance could be widened to allow more cash strapped families to receive the payment exactly like that listener has has texted in Uh, Norma Foley says she accepts she does accept that many struggling families will not qualify for what is a means tested allowance and of course you know as, we, as we've been talking about this week the government announced the extra 100 euro per child in total a 67 million euro package was announced for the education sector this week the Minister for Social Protection Heather Humphreys says the increase will be paid to 120,000 families automatically and they reckon there'll be about another 30,000 families who'd be eligible for the payment this year who hadn't been eligible on uh, previous uh, years but this year it's just going to be a one-off measure where the extra 100 is given per child so it means if you have a child in primary school aged from 4 to 11 €260 Euro is what the back to school allowance will be and then the secondary school children for those 12 and over it goes to €385 Euro. as I said that's a one off it'll revert back to €100 Euro less next year unless we're still living in the same economic uh, climate. Now the increase was welcomed by the opposition parties. You don't often get the opposition parties welcoming what the government did but I did note that the Sinn Féin education spokesperson Donico O'Leary he said the rate increase is not going to help struggling parents who don't qualify and he called for the payment to be extended to more middle income uh, families. That was put to Norma Foley yesterday and she said look it wasn't possible to do everything this week it wasn't possible to do everything in one foul swoop but she said it's it's very much part of a process and she is now has confidence that Minister Humphreys in the Department of Social Protection will be looking at all the aspects in terms of back to school and particularly in terms of widening the eligibility criteria so let's keep fingers crossed that if they do widen the eligibility criteria more families who are really struggling at the moment might come in for that uh, payment 
Heather Humphreys, of course, also announced on Tuesday that the school meals programme is going to be extended. That means about an extra 60,000 children will be getting free meals. They're the children that go to DESH schools. And what was a fantastic news for anyone who is in rural Ireland and whose child has to go on the school bus, Norma Foley announced that the school transport fees are going to be wavered for all families for the coming academic year. And that's about 121,000 families normally pay the fees, the bus fees. So that's one that certainly is welcomed and that will help some of that uh, squeezed middle for sure. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. See Kelly Services, they're hosting a recruitment fair on Saturday, July 16th. It's in the Castle Hotel, Main Street in McCroom. Jobs vary from entry to management level across production, operative, life science and engineering roles. The event will run from 10am to 4pm, hiring both locally and across Cork. You can visit kellyservices.ie for more information. A garden maintenance person is required for Saturdays only in the Bandon area. It involves cleaning and maintenance of gardens. Call 087-7617530. Relief Milker, no experience necessary as training will be provided, is wanted for the Dunamore area. Call 086-3193651. If you'd like to find out more information about those jobs or other jobs that we have on our job slot, you can go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Just by the way, on the weather front, for those that are still in areas where it's very cloudy, you know, parts of North Cork are, are still very cloudy, getting reports in from West Cork. One in from Dunmanway say the sun is splitting the rocks in Dunmanway. So certainly the sunshine has arrived in West Cork and it is pushing its way up. Enjoy folks, enjoy. Now data provided by the Personal Injuries Assessment Board PIAB show that dozens of public liability claims were taken as a result of dog attacks in the last two years. So to talk about your responsibility as a dog owner and why insurance is so important, I'm joined by Liam Crowley, who is Senior Associate with McCarthy and Company Solicitors and they're based in Clonakilty. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Is the sun shining in Clon as well? It is spectacular out here. I'm looking out enviously. I just have to close the window because people are outside enjoying themselves. <laughs> So I was afraid I wouldn't hear you from the <laughs> and you and you were stuck in the office for oh, the day. I'm, I'm stuck in there, but I'm talking to you. So <laughs> listen, it's going to be there's going to be evening sunshine, so we'll all be able to enjoy that as well. Okay. Now, does your house insurance cover you if God forbid your dog attacks somebody while they're visiting your house? Okay, so it's a question I've answered a number of times over a couple of days, and there's various answers to it. But the short answer is: Do not presume that it does. It should. But if you have a dog, I think it is um, the responsible thing to call your insurance provider or your broker. Find out, first of all, should you be notifying them that you have a dog? Uh, And secondly, find out what exclusions are in place, because you could be surprised what exclusions are in the policy. I myself purchased my own dog about four years ago. I rang up uh, and I was surprised to find out that domestic employees, so anyone coming in, maybe doing a bit of gardening for me, perhaps a tradesman coming in doing some job for me, if they had been attacked by my dog, they may not be covered. So that did surprise me. So I sought additional cover in that regard. Um, 
your immediate family members may not be covered. Uh, so if you have a child in your house um, who gets uh, bitten by your dog, that child may not be covered. But your your broader family who are visiting or attending any, any visitors to the house should be covered, but it's safer to check it. Yeah, just to be absolutely sure. Absolutely. And what, what about, you know, when I mentioned that you were coming on, a number of people were saying, oh, well, I've got, I've got pet insurance. But yeah. the pet insurance just covers the animal, isn't it? Not necessarily. I, I've done some research on this in recent days, and you can get uh, pet insurance, which covers veterinary bills, but also third-party claims. Uh, oh, that's... But again, check your policy, because those policies, they're, they're, they appear to be reasonable enough on the surface from what I've seen, uh, and that might cover a gap if you do have a gap in your insurance. And are you also covered if you're out for a walk and the dog, your dog attacks somebody? Yeah, you, you should be. If the policy is in place and covers your dog, you should be. Uh, again, I'm parroting myself a small bit here, but it's safer to check. But absolutely, if, 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 if your dog is covered at home, it should be covered outside the home as well. Um, uh, another important point on uh, someone has contacted me in recent days to tell me that their policy of insurance didn't cover them in circumstances where they, their dog licence had expired. So again, that's particular to that policy. Mm-hmm. But again, something to be careful of. Yeah, you've got all fine print, don't you, when it comes to insurance. And then, what about a dog attacking another dog? Yeah. So, uh, I suppose the starting point in all this is the Control of Dogs Act, nineteen eighty-six, uh, and that imposes what I would call strict liability on the dog owner. If your dog attacks another person or property uh, or, or livestock, uh, including other dogs, uh, you're responsible, and it is irrelevant. If you weren't aware that your dog could become violent, that your dog hadn't been violent previously, um, you don't really need to show negligence on the part of the dog owner. Uh, if your dog has caused damage, you are responsible for it. So um, if your dog does attack another dog and causes serious damage to the dog and the dog requires veterinary treatment, then, then you are uh, potentially liable for that if the other dog and owner decides to pursue you. The same with livestock, which can be a very significant issue. Well, that's, that's, we've, we've covered that so many times on mm. the programme, and that's just shocking for everybody uh, involved, uh, particularly the farmers, you know, and, and sheep and lambs have been dreadful. It's just hard to prove which dog which dog did it and then who owns the uh, the actual dog. Tony is in Roscarbury and he's got an interesting question. What if your house is rented? Does the landlord's house insurance cover your dog, the person renting? Uh, that I don't know. And I suppose, Tony, if, if, if he is renting, he should again check. If, he, if he's the landlord, he should check with the policy insurance. Uh, if he's the tenant, he can check with his landlord and ask that they check, but, but safer still to have his own policy of insurance. I think that would be the appropriate thing to get insurance on the pet itself. Uh, and again, from what I've seen, those policies seem to be fairly reasonable. They seem to cost less than the cost of feeding the dog for a month. Mm-hmm. So, um, I suppose the important thing, Patricia, and uh, what I am seeing, unfortunately, I have seen some increase in people making inquiries about very serious injuries they have sustained. Uh, often in these cases, the dog is not insured and my clients are left in a position where do they pursue this individual or not? People with less serious injuries, and, and they're not trivial injuries by any means, they are people who will be left with some element of scar on, on a leg or an arm. Uh, sometimes they're deciding not to pursue a person um, because they're not insured and they don't wish to cause uh, difficulty to them. Other times, and probably the more tragic case that I'm seeing, are, are children who are injured by um, another uh, a grandmother's dog or grandfather's dog. Yeah, within a family, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and the problem is then, who wants to sue granny? Um, yeah. Now, if there's a policy of insurance, 
you still do have to sue Granny to recover the competition, but at least you're aware that there's an insurance that will fill the place. Other than that, how do you bring yourself to bring a case yeah. against your own Granny? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they, you have a child yeah. who's left with very serious injuries. It really is, is difficult. And we know that uh, dog ownership went up during the pandemic. Are you fearful that we could see more of these cases going forward? I don't know. I suppose uh, Amy uh, Malloy has an excellent article in The Independent, which I contributed to on uh, Tuesday, I think it was. And um, her research certainly shows that there has been an increase in complaints to the Gardaí about dogs year on year. Uh, it really seems to coincide with us exiting the first stage of the pandemic in 2020. The numbers went up in 21 and 22. Um, <clears throat> what I would say, though, is those figures don't seem to be feeding through directly to an increase in claims. Uh, there is a small uptick, but doesn't it's not reflective of what is there. Um, I've been on various other shows with, with veterinary contributors over the last couple of days, and they've spoken about the need to socialise your dog. I think they were talking from as early as three weeks up to 16 weeks being the golden era. And, of course, the problem during lockdown, if people were purchasing dogs, I would expect they didn't have the opportunity to socialise the dog with other dogs or with other people. Is that leading to the issue? Possibly. Mm. Uh, I have seen anecdotally um, couriers are now having difficulties where they're arriving at houses where beforehand the homeowner was at home with the dog in a position to control them. Now the dogs are, are unattended uh, and they get, tend to get aggressive. Um, yeah, talk, talk to any postman. I mean, whatever it is, dogs, well, we know what it yeah. is. The dog barks at the postman, the postman goes away and the dog thinks it's, it's done its job. But postmen and women have always had this problem with, with dogs and, and dog attacks. And now, as you say, more recently with so many couriers uh, calling around, do, do the, do, would the employer there have a responsibility? Yeah, and only recently this issue did come up for me and um, a postman had to withdraw his services to a particular area until it was resolved. Um, but the employer, I suppose I'll put it this way, the example of a postman, uh, if he attends at a house uh, for the first occasion and the dog is there and the dog bites him, the employer isn't necessarily liable there. How could they have known? Um, but they will may become liable if the postman announces to his employer, I am having this issue at this address with this dog. And if the employer fails to take steps to address it, they may be liable. Um, an unusual question that came up the other day when I was doing another programme was um, people bring their dogs to work now. Yeah, uh, that's become popular. Apparently so. I wasn't aware and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my own dog in here now. But um, would the employer be liable? And there is a potential there. I mean, an employer must ensure there's a safe workplace, ensure there's no hazard in the workplace. And if they allow a dog to come on to their workspace, and it turns out that dog is volatile or violent, there's a potential that they may be liable. Now, the only difference there is the standards that must be proven against the employer is higher than the dog owner. The dog owner has what we call strict liability. Once the damage is done, the dog owner is responsible. With the employer, you must show that they're negligent in some way in that regard. But it's just something to be conscious of. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure, for, for sure. And we, we know that there are rules around the dogs on the restricted breed uh, list. But any dog, the most docile of dog, can attack, has the potential to attack. And, and not necessarily just attack. Um, I have had cases where the dog has been overly friendly and, and unfortunately has knocked someone over, caused a fracture. So it's not just an attack. Now, the legislation would suggest that strict liability is only where there is an attack, but the definition of what is attack isn't quite clear. Um, 
But any dog has a propensity. I mean, uh, the restricted breeds, I'm sure if they're well managed and well socialized and well controlled with a, a good owner, uh, should be no more dangerous than any other dog, I would have assumed. Um, they have a higher burden on them. They must keep the dog on a lead at all times when in a public space. They must have their identifying details, telephone number and contact numbers for the owners on them. The ordinary members of the public don't necessarily have to do that. But at the end of the day, I mean, any dog uh, can, can cause an issue, whether intentionally or not. And um, the consequences can be serious, certainly for the injured party. Uh, but then if you don't have insurance and if a person does decide to pursue you personally, um, the, the bracket of what may be uh, paid out to that person is fairly large. Um, just to give a broad example, minor scarring to the legs and the arms, um, that, that the range of that is 1,000 euro to 40,000 euro. And then it gets far more serious from then on. If you have facial scarring, uh, if it's a young person, if there's psychological issues, the most serious of those started cases can climb all the way up to 200,000. And that's just for general damages. That doesn't include any out-of-pocket expenses for medical bills, loss of earnings, and it doesn't include legal costs if the matter has to proceed after the personal injuries assessment board has been involved. Yeah, so and God, you know, facial scarring, that person will live with that uh, for the rest of their, their lives. But Absolutely. just on, the, on the, uh, we were chatting in the office about you, you coming on earlier on, and I was just telling the story that's happened many, many years ago to a friend of mine, had a really, really docile Labrador that everybody adored. Gorgeous, gorgeous dog, very friendly with all the the children and a neighbour's child was coming came over to play patted the dog on the head to say oh hiya you know and mm. what they didn't know was the dog had an ear infection and oh. he, the child just happened to slap down on where the sore ear was mm. and the dog nipped and mm. and of course the, the other family insisted that the dog was, was put down and even the oh, vet sure. was mm. saying this is dreadful you know and but there was nothing they could do they didn't sue now or anything but the dog had to be put down so you just you just never know you never know what, the most docile of dogs can be having a bad day and something can, can be going on uh, Absolutely I mean, it'd be true of people. I mean, if you had an injury and you someone gave you a gentle pattern and that caused you pain, you're going to trigger your yeah, reaction. Yeah. Yeah. nature. Um, That's it. unfortunate for that poor dog. That's it. Listen, thank you. Mine of information, uh, Liam. Enjoy the sunshine in a beautiful West Cork and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much. Patricia. Good morning okay. to you. That is uh, Liam Crowley, Senior Associate with McCarthy Company Solicitors in Clonakilty where the sun is shining and I can see actually more texts coming in from uh, around West Cork with people saying it's absolutely glorious in uh, West uh, Cork. Another one in from Dublin. Manway. Uh, Declan says, morning Patricia, the sun is splitting the rocks in Dunmanway and with the government now in a weakened position, I bet any money that Sinn Féin will call a vote of no confidence in the government. Uh, best wishes, uh, says uh, Declan. Ah, what are you looking at? That we're going to have a general election. Does anybody want a general election? 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And we're off to Bandon Garda Station for this week's Garda Fire, where I'm joined by Sergeant Connor McCarthy. Good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. And I'm very well, thank you. You're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, we start with a number of incidents that you are looking for help with, starting with the theft of diesel. That's right, Patricia. On the morning of 27th of June, uh, €200 Euro worth of diesel was taken from a yard in Ahadalan, Dunamore, 
Uh, this incident occurred in the early hours of the 27th of June. Uh, the fuel was siphoned from a fuel tank and was discovered missing by the owner the following day. Uh, we're just asking that if anyone observed anything suspicious, uh, to please contact Gardaí at Mill Street Garda Station on 029-70002. And I have a, a funny, strange feeling that with the price of diesel and petrol, we're going to be seeing a lot more of that type of theft. People need to be so, so careful. Yes, people need to be very vigilant uh, going forward. As as you highlighted there, the, the increase in the price uh, will definitely make it a, a more prevalent uh, crime again and, and and the numbers are increasing um in this uh, this area as Unfortunately. we speak, uh, presently. Okay, there was a business premises broken into this was in the Dumanway area. That's right, during the evening of the thirtieth of June and into the morning of the first of July, that's a Thursday night into Friday morning. A business premises was broken into in the Tohar area in the Manue. Uh, the culprits gained entry through a window and took a number of building materials. Uh, we're just again asking that anyone passing the area who may have seen anything out of the ordinary during this time to contact Gardaí at the Manue Garda station who are investigating the matter on 023 We unfortunately often report thefts from cars. This is one that happened outside a church. That's right. On the 3rd of July, uh, a mobile phone was taken from a car outside uh, the Church of Nativity in Cullen. Uh, the incident occurred around 6.30pm um, and unfortunately the vehicle was left unlocked at the time. Uh, we're just hoping that anyone in the area in passing or that were at the church at the time may have noticed someone unusual um, in around the area and um, that they may be able to help us in the, with our investigation. Guardian Rathmore are dealing with it and can be contacted on 064 775 And what looks like an act of vandalism, this was in Kinsale. That's right. Uh, the early hours of the 3rd of July, again, there was some damage caused to two windows in the premises and St. Elton's Crescent can sail. Um, we're just asking that anyone who may be in the vicinity um, around the, the early hours of the morning and uh, notice something unusual in that area, that they might be able to pass on that information to Guardian can sail on 021-477-9250. And only yesterday, items taken from a car in Dunmanway. Yes, again, unfortunately, uh, the vehicle was left unlocked uh, in the early hours of the morning around 2 a.m. A number of items were taken from a car in the Castle Street area of the Manway. Um, if anyone observed anything or anyone acting suspiciously or out of the ordinary or out of place at that time, um, that they might contact Gardaí in the Manway again on 023-8856-120. OK, and go back to where we started with the theft of uh, the diesel. Uh, what can we all do to try to stop that and for, for some prevention advice? I suppose there's a number of things that people can just um, can take take to uh, issues they can uh, do themselves just to hopefully um, avoid these issues uh, like above ground oil tanks and mobile fuel bowsers are at most at risk of fuel theft whether on domestic or commercial premises so maybe preventative measures include um, installing alarms anti-siphoning anti devices putting up signage, security lighting and are even fitting CCTV these all will deter fuel thieves 
and there's also keep fuel tanks in a visible area and restrict access and keep gates closed to to premises when they're not when places aren't open uh, and there's plenty of advice there on guarded.ie if people wish to use that and just to gain, give themselves some more knowledge and, and uh, ways of uh, preventing this crime from and taking I know place. For, for people with their, their home their home heating uh, tank one of the things when the price of fuel started to go up one of the advice that was given I think it was here on, on this particular slot uh, with one of your other colleagues was saying don't fill the tank uh, you know just maybe get a half half a fill that because if God forbid somebody does decide to to steal it they're not getting away with a full tank load and that's it exactly it's just to be mindful of how much you put in if you do fill full tanks it's if you if they do rob it they will take a lot of the, it'll cost a lot of money to replace it whereas if you do fill it bit by bit and keep it topped up as you go along it might be less of a hit if something goes wrong and less of an incentive for these um, would be teased to take uh, take the fuel We've been talking this morning about the sun splitting the rocks in West Cork. It certainly isn't uh, the same all over the county, but the sun certainly seems to have arrived in West Cork. means summer is here. We know that we've got a spell of nice weather with us, hopefully for the next couple of weeks uh, at least. But with that will come an increase in road users. That's right. Um, it, it's a busy time of year in West Cork yet again. Uh, the fine weather will certainly draw uh, plenty of people to the area. And with this in mind, there is an increase of the number of road, road users. We ask that everyone using the roads be cognizant of others. There are a number of large caravans, camper vans and on our roads who will be uh, unfamiliar with the area. And it's important we all have patience and, uh, with dealing with these road users who might be unfamiliar with the area. And I suppose people are getting out and being active as well, Patricia, with uh, there will be a number of people cycling and walking in groups out using the roads. And important we allow adequate space for these people on the roads when attempting to overtake or to get by. And I suppose with this in mind, people should give adequate time for their journeys, ensure they allow for slower road users such as farm machinery and camper vans. As I said, it's a busy time of year and we all need to work together to keep everyone safe. Um, pedestrians and cyclists should always wear high visibility equipment both at night and during the daytime. Um, this equipment is freely available if, if people go online at rsa.ie and there is a certain amount of uh, responsibility I suppose on us all to ensure we can be clearly seen both daytime and at nighttime. And on Gardaí Síochána, want to want everyone to realise that we that they can be lifesavers through their actions, and we ask everyone to slow down on the roads. Okay, and then also summertime, people will be going away on um, holidays, for etc. Maybe just even away on day trip. You have some summer burglary prevention advice. That's right. Um, I suppose a few simple tips really is just ensure you secure all doors and windows um, when you're leaving their pre- leaving your home and light up your home and use timer switches when out if you, you perceive you'll be out for a, peri- a long period of time and use your alarm even when at home. There's also to, uh, store keys safely and away from windows and letter- letterboxes and record details of valuables and don't keep large amounts of cash at home and install a night motion sensor light. This can act as a great deterrent and is not that expensive. And people may notice unusual cars or vans in the area and it is great assistance to us if people manage to obtain a vehicle registration number. They should contact their local guard station with this number and which can prove vital in investigating crimes. Yeah, pull out your phone and take a take a picture of it if you can't write down yeah, exactly. the, the number That's quick enough. But I think with this nice warm weather that we're <coughs> going to get over certainly over across the weekend that 
leaving the windows open can be a bit of a problem. You have the windows open because the house is too hot and then you're heading away for the day. Maybe you're heading away for an overnight. Close those windows before you go. You're spot on, uh, Patricia. It, it's very important that we, we take responsibility for our own uh, premises as best we can and just make sure that we do secure it before we leave. Take that extra few minutes just to check all the windows and doors and ensure that our property is secure. And even if you are heading away, it might be no harm to let a neighbour know that you're heading off for a day or two, just so that they can keep an eye on the place as well. Okay. It all, it all helps. And then very finally, some vehicle security. If you are heading off on a day trip and you're bringing the car and you're parking it up and you're heading off on your picnic or your day to the beach or a walk in, in the woods or the park, you need to make sure your car is secure. That's right, Patricia. Uh, I suppose we, we all look to take advantage of the many uh, areas uh, and scenic view areas that we have in West Cork. But a lot of these areas, it's important of when we go there to ensure our windows and doors are shut and ensure the alarm is on. Um, and very importantly, do not leave property on view inside your vehicle. Uh, if you can, don't have any valuables in the car. But if you do, maybe put them into the into the boot prior to arriving at the location where you park your vehicle. And try not to park in an isolated area if you can ensure there's other people in the vicinity regularly and this will prevent uh, a lot of the thefts from cars which unfortunately is becoming more uh, prevalent again as, as the summertime comes. Okay and Gardaí always available if people need to contact the local station. And that's it. I'm Garda Sheikhana would like to again like to thank the public for the continued support and assistance in the many under investigations that we are undertaking. Um, we are available to assist them in any way that we can. People are encouraged to contact their local Garda station at any time or to call in whenever available stations are open, primarily 24 hours a day, and we're always able to take a call. Okay, listen, thanks for that. Um, Connor, we'll speak again, but thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks for Good time. morning Thank to you. you. Bye bye. That is Sergeant Connor McCarthy, who is based at Bandingard, the station with this week's at Guard the Five. 0818 John Paul taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions because Jane Pickett will be joining us in the next hour. If you've got a pet question, get that into John Paul or you can text our uh, WhatsApp. We were talking about the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, and I was particularly talking about how families are trying, desperately trying to make ends meet with one, you know, family getting on to us saying, trying to save, trying to cut back every single week to save a bit of money to put towards the cost of going back to school. This is a family doesn't qualify for any benefits and certainly doesn't qualify because it's a very strict means test for the back to school clothing and footwear allowance. That's prompted somebody to say, Patricia, where is everybody going with talking about going back to school? We're only into the first week of July. School is only just out for summer. God in my time. You had to walk two miles to school with holes in your jumper and a hand-me-down uniform and go back a generation further. In my parents' time, some of them went to school barefoot. We really have come a long way. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Breaking news coming out of Westminster is that Boris Johnson now is expected to make that statement that he's promised to make. He's promised to make it later today. It's expected to be about one o'clock uh, today and uh, it'll be outside as they all have done previous Prime Ministers who have resigned. He'll step, stand outside uh, Downing Street and address the nation. It's, it'll be really, I, I will watch that one with great interest to see how will he handle that and how will he handle his uh, resignation. 0818 103 
103. Actually, Anne Barris, let me see, there was a text in here, if I can find it. Somebody was saying, um, hi, Patricia, I must say I really enjoyed Boris Johnson as Prime Minister of uh, England. He really was great entertainment. The comments he used to make. I'll miss him. I'll miss Carrie, his wife, and of course, Dylan, his dog. And regarding Leo, he was cleared by the DPP. Hopefully, Leo will be Taoiseach again uh, uh, soon. Uh, because at the end of the day, who would actually replace him? Well, I think there's people waiting in the long grass of Fina Gale who said that they would replace him. And actually, if t- t- somebody who was saying that we should have a general election and that Sinn Féin should table a motion of no confidence in, in the government. I'm seeing on the news wires th- this morning that Sinn Féin is considering table a mo- tabling a motion of no confidence in the government next week. Now, they'll have to do it quickly because, of course, the doll goes into recess next uh, week. And now with the government having lost its technical majority in the doll, what better time for Sinn Féin to move the government? Now, technically has 79 TDs, but as Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, pointed out, that's one short of a clear majority. They need 80. A Sinn Féin spokesperson says the government has run out of road and was failing to tackle the cost of living and the housing crisis. But the deadline for Sinn Féin for submitting a motion of no confidence will be 11am tomorrow. There's very strict rules and regulations around how you can do these things in Dáil Éireann. So we will know by this time tomorrow whether Sinn Féin are going to put down that table of uh, that motion of no confidence. Now, yesterday when it broke that the Donegal TD, Joe McHugh, was resigning the his Fine Gael, uh, party whip over the defective concrete blocks bill. The government had insisted it would still have a working um, uh, majority because even with Joe McHugh last night resigning and not voting with the government, that bill still passed the legislation with 74 votes, voting in favour and 69 uh, against uh, because they have independents who also support the government on various issues. They do it on, on a case by case. So even if even if there was to be a vote of no confidence, it's not to say that just because the government haven't got a technical majority, it's not to say that it wouldn't go through. And it's a little bit like who within Dáil Éireann, I don't know how many of them actually want a general election. Some will, absolutely some will, but not all will want the idea of going before the people, with, particularly with the state of the country with the cost of living crisis and just coming off the back of the pandemic. I don't know how many, for some it'll be a little bit like Turkey's voting for Christmas, but only time will tell and we will await and see what happens with Sinn Féin and will they make the move because they say in order to make their move they have to do it by 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. 0818103103. And then on Boris Johnson, somebody said, oh, it, was, it was amazing to hear Dáil Deputy Jerry Gannon of the Social Democrats. He was on the Tonight programme last night calling Boris Johnson sleazy and at the, his absence of shame. I was amazed to hear Jerry Gannon say that, seeing as he was one of the Dáil deputies who had to return just over €1,000 in expenses. Kettle pot springs to mind our, our government are disgraceful well spotted by that that uh, listener and that listener is right the Social Democrats TD Jerry Gannon was forced to pay back 
just over a thousand euro in expenses and the reason for it was he had recorded the lowest attendance in the Dáil of any TD last year for 2021. He only recorded 108 days of attendance and that's below the 120 day which is the minimum required for a TD in order to claim the full Oireachtas travel and accommodation allowance that he would be entitled to. Now what's a bit ironic for Jerry Gannon was the Dáil spent most of last year 2021 sitting in the convention centre because of course with social distancing and all that Leinster House wasn't deemed big enough to allow them all in so they moved Locksack and Barrow to the convention centre. The convention centre is actually in Jerry Gannon's Dublin central constituency so he didn't even have very far to go in order to attend the minimum of 120 days which he didn't do, he did 108. No other TD recorded as low an attendance rate as Deputy Jerry, uh, Jerry Gannon for the purposes of claiming a Rockdus expenses although there was five Sinn Féin TDs including the Deputy Party leader in the Dáil Pierce Doherty who failed also to meet the 120 day at minimum and because of that they also had to refund and thousands seemingly ended up having to be refunded so how does the expenses work for travel and accommodation the amount a TD receives in the travel and accommodation allowance payments is based on the distance they live from Leinster House it ranges from €9,000 for those people who are in Dublin and don't, don't have very far to travel and it can go up to €34,065 Euro for those who are living in excess of 360 kilometres uh, away. TDs must pay 1% of the allowance for back for every day below the 120 day minimum that they must attend. So Jerry Gannon had confirmed that he paid 1,080 euro, which was 12% of the 9,000 euro that he uh, claimed. But he also insisted that he was present more than the records uh, show. So he's claiming the records were wrong. So well spotted by uh, his name is Gary. Sorry, what am I saying? Jerry, Gary? Gary Gannon, says Dennis. Sorry, Gary Gannon, my apologies. Gary Gannon of the Social Democrats, but he did pay back that €1,000 that he wrongly uh, claimed. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. And John Paul has just spotted up on Twitter that Brezzy, you know, Brezzy, the singer and entertainer, he kind of made a name for himself as well. He's a great advocate on behalf of mental health. He tweeted this morning that given all the chaos that's going on with travelling overseas and everything that's happening at the airport, he has decided that he is going to holiday in West Cork this year and he couldn't depict a better place. So he's on Twitter this morning looking for what he says for different and chilled suggestions in West Cork. So John Paul thought, wouldn't it be a good idea for us to try and give some suggestions to uh, Brezzi? So we'll throw it out to the people who live in West Cork and know it the best and the other people who who visit and love to visit West Cork and know the really nice uh, place to visit. So he's looking for different and chilled suggestions. I think anywhere in West Cork is chilled. You always sort of feel very relaxed I think uh, once you head to West Cork and particularly if you're doing your time off and you're on holidays. So anyone with suggestions that we will then pass on to Brezzy for his holidays. He's coming on his holly bobs and he's coming to West Cork. Where would you send Brezzy? And I'm assuming his family are going to travel with him. Where would you send him to for a little bit of something different 
and uh, to be chilled and for him to relax and enjoy himself. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. And we are, of course, looking for your pet questions as well. Joe in Kilmalik has contacted the programme. Let me get Joe up on the system here. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm not, I'm not too bad. You heard me talk about the expenses that TDs are allowed to claim on, yes, uh, for yes, travel. That's right. But uh, the, the ordinary worker, the taxpayer, they get they get nothing. Yeah. They don't get they don't get expenses. Why in the name of God should a, a politician get up to twenty one thousand a year in top of the, the, the obscene salaries to get? And the ones living in Dublin who don't really have very far to travel, nine thousand a year, nine thousand a year they can travel. Nine thousand. Should Raymond Ryan is cycling to work? <laughs> oh, he's, getting, he's getting nine thousand to cycle to work for the puncture he's repair like, kits. <laughs> I'd move up to my daughter. My daughter get nine thousand to, 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 to cycle to Drumcondra. And you know, I hear from more and indeed people that work in this uh, building who are have to travel to work every day, the cost that they are now, the increased in cost in just getting to and from work with it's the price crazy. of diesel and petrol. All that money, they should not be allowed that money at all. If they're going to work, they go to work. An old eight pension have to live in on about 12,500 a year and they're getting 30,000 just to, to come up from the country. So you say the wage packet that they get, that's enough. Pay for your own expenses out of that. Pay for, pay for your own expenses. That's why they're all in politics because they can, they, they, they can, they, they can do they can do what they like up there. They give themselves pay rises and they don't have to go to, into, in front of any union. It is a huge sum of money for, for expenses, for sure. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The ordinary taxpayer, uh, they, they, they can't have put petrol in that car now. OK. All right, Joe. Thanks for that. I think okay. a, lot, a lot of people, I think, will agree with you on that. And actually, on the price of diesel and petrol, somebody, John in Clonakilty, says, Patricia, on diesel and petrol at the pumps, still staying above the €2.10 a litre really isn't coming down yet, says John. The barrel of oil in the past two weeks has been dropping big time. For example, a barrel of oil on the world market is just over the $100. It's at 103 dollars a barrel today. Uh, prices though are not dropping at our pumps, says John in Clonakilty. And I saw um, on a Twitter feed this morning, it was out of America, somebody had put up about how their petrol had started, their gas as they call it, was starting to fall in wherever this person was living in uh, the States and lots of people then were, were commenting on it. Now, it had gone to $4 a litre or a gallon, isn't it, they buy, and which is a big jump for them. It's normally over a dollar, a dollar, a dollar and a half a gallon and it's gone up to, it had gone up to over $4 and he said for the first time in a while it's down at under it was under the four mark. It was at $3.99. And a lot of other people were saying, yeah, that they had started to see the price of the petrol pumps had started to come down in the States. And people were quoting the fact it's then it's because of the drop in the price of the barrel of oil on the world market and the knock-on effect has been felt, certainly in the States, but it's not been felt here. But of course, of course, one of the reasons we pay so much is we pay mo- so much in it, various tax and VAT and carbon levies and uh, on every single 
litre of petrol and uh, diesel. But John, you are right. We should be seeing some kind of a decrease at the pumps. Uh, 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Here's a lovely suggestion for teenagers. Make movies and have fun this summer. It is the Cork Young Film Makers. They have got a week-long filmmaking camp in locations or camps, should I say, in locations across County Cork. If you're based in Cork, aged 14 to 18 and interested in making films, these courses are for you. They take place in Middleton and Mallow, Cove, McCroom and Bandon. Email corkyoungfilmmakers at gmail.com. Mallow Castle Park Run takes place next Saturday. It's free, fun and a friendly 5k community event. You can run, walk or crawl it. It's up to you. Or you can volunteer uh, whatever you would like to do or just turn out and spectate. Bandon Karate Club takes place Tuesday and Thursday nights 7pm at the Bandon Town Hall. Beginners and children 8 years and over. Great way to keep fit and learn a martial art at the same time. And Kaylee Kush Locker returns after a three-year closure due to COVID. They're delighted to welcome one and all to the lock in the heart of Cork City for an open-air Kaylee and old-time dancing. Starts on Wednesday. Uh, it started on Wednesday. Um, from It's on Wednesday nights from 7.30 to 9pm uh, weekly until the end of August. All dances are demonstrated and they're led by a live band. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. I see people are getting enraged when I mentioned the expenses that the TDs are have been claiming. Uh, with Colm and Butterman saying, Patricia, just to stop you there when you're talking about the allowances. Colin reckons there were over a hundred different headings for various expenses that TDs can claim. Travel is but one of them. There are many other expenses as well. Oh God, Colin, we won't even get into the other uh, expenses. Eamon Ryan, it's true, says this texter cycles to work and apparently a government car follows him because he is now a government minister. So much for being environmentally friendly. Yeah, I must find out anecdotally I've heard that that he cycles and there's a car coming in with his papers and all, all of that I don't know if it's true or if it's just one of those made up stories we'll see if we can get confirmation on that actually Sean Defoe would be the man to ask our, our political correspondent he'd know for sure is it true that Eamon Ryan cycles and the government car comes and brings everything else that he needs or if he needs a lift home I, I, I assume or just the car come in in case he needs to go off to a meeting somewhere I don't know we'll see if we can find out and get clarification on that Hi Patricia I have two options for the cost of living either become a TD or go back to school either which way you get free you'll get free bus and free uh, travel ha 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 says this uh, texter to 0862103103 I mentioned the community diary events that are happening somebody says would you give a mention that there's a dance at the Mushra platform on Sunday afternoon next the 10th of July 3pm to 5.30pm music is by Peter Lane and Blackwater Sound and there will be no cover charge if you want to do some uh, platform dancing in Mushra next Sunday and you have a fine day for it I'd say make sure you've got the suntan lotion on you guys Hi Patricia fair play to Brezzy for deciding to stay in Ireland on his holidays and what better place could he pick than West Cork I would advise him to start in Inchigila 
go to Ballingiri, beautiful Gugambara, then Bantry, Glengariff, Castletown Bear. A lovely part of our country, says Bree. That's a nice little road trip. We'll pass that one on to Brezzy uh, Breed. Thank you for that. And then someone says just to let people know by way of warning. This is Mary in Roscarby. Thank you for this, Mary. Just to advise listeners, I received this text this morning, which I believed to be a scam. It is a scam. Uh, thanking you, says Mary. And it is one purporting to come from the HSC to say you've been in contact with somebody who has COV-19 variant. No such thing. Please follow instructions here. And there is a to order testing ki- kit. And there's a link you meant to click on. And of course, that'll get you into all kinds of problems. So well spotted, Mary. Just delete the text. That is a scam. But just let others know the HSE are not sending out texts to people telling you that you have been a close contact and that you need to apply for a testing kit. You can still apply for testing kits or to get a test but they're limited in the amount of PCR tests that they're giving out at the moment but you do that yourself online. Do not under any circumstances go through a link. 0818 103 103 and Joe in Blarney uh, says I was very proud to see our go to the Ukraine yesterday and to see him offer our country's support it's devastating what is happening to that country and to its beautiful people and actually all the papers today lots and lots of column inches and photographs of our Taoiseach Micheál Martin on his uh, visit he went to the ruined town of Bucha uh, yesterday and I thought it was lovely what he did was the and they're obviously getting other leaders to do it as well and people that, that are coming to visit he placed a teddy bear at a, memor- a memorial to date 400 or sorry 343 children have been killed in the Ukraine since the Russian invasion and they've got all these little stuffed toys and teddy bears at this little memorial to the children whose lives have been lost uh, so far. And then Michal Martin was taken on a tour of the remains of this town of Bucha which Russian shelling has absolutely devastated and that's the town that has the mass grave of uh, innocent people massacred by Vladimir Putin's uh, army and you could see that Michal Martin became you know, visibly upset, he was emotional when he was at that mass uh, grave and then he went on to a photographic exhibition which really told the horror of what happened in that uh, little town and he said there was one photograph that for Michal Martin captured the agony of a relative kneeling at the body of family member of a friend and he said it captures for the entire community the enormous trauma inflicted upon the people of Ukraine by the Russians. He said it's very difficult to comprehend the inhumanity of Russia Yeah, and it's the ugliness of man's inhumanity to man isn't it? That's what we're witnessing in Ukraine. Michal Martin's mission to Kiev culminated in then a bilateral meeting which he held obviously with President Vladimir Zelensky who went on to thank the Irish people for their support. Michal Martin said he decided very quickly to offer protection to Ukrainians when the war broke out and uh, offered protection for them coming to Ireland and the government he said has never put a limit on the number that can come and he admitted that it's challenging he said but we're in a war and it's our moral obligation to respond. He said the sights he saw 
of the terror and the trauma that children have experienced. He said that we've no choice but uh, here in Ireland but to do the right thing in a time of barbaric inhumanity. He said we'll do everything we can to facilitate people to come to Ireland. Uh, he said we haven't gotten into numbers on how many more but we'll keep finding new accommodation and he does admit that the numbers coming has slowed down. He said every Irish town and city is a sea of yellow and blue. He said to date we've welcomed almost 40,000 Ukrainians fleeing the war. He said they are welcome to stay in Ireland for as long as they need to and he said to President Zelensky and the people of Ukraine, our home is uh, your home and then President Zelensky went on to thank Ireland for the visas that have been given to people fleeing from the uh, war and went on to thank the Irish people for their uh, generosity and while all that was going on, the Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney has said that Ireland will have to contribute to what is called the Marshall Plan. And the Marshall Plan is sort of all of the other countries getting together to put a plan in place on how Ukraine will be built after the war. Simon Coveney also said, and I thought this was a really good suggestion from Simon Coveney, that he believed that the 36 billion euro that is currently frozen, these are the Russian assets that are frozen, he feels that that 36 billion should be used to help with the initial construction of the war-torn country. But it is expected under this Marshall Plan that it is going to cost at least 75 750, 750 billion euro will be needed to build Ukraine back up when the war has uh, ended. And Simon Coveney is saying Ireland uh, will have to contribute uh, something to that. But I think that would be a good start. Take that 36 billion of the frozen Russian assets and as soon as this war ends, use that money to start the initial construction of the war-torn country. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103. If you have a question for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, now is the time to call or to text. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Let's go to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where I'm joined by our resident vet, Jane Pickett. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And we're all looking forward to the fine weather and a nice time to remind people to make sure that your pets stay nice and cool, uh, particularly as the temperatures are set to rise into sort of 23, 24, 25 degrees over the next few days. Mm, absolutely I think it's really really important particularly as we're a country that maybe unfortunately doesn't experience really lovely weather all of the time when it does swing around we just need to be extra careful to keep an eye on our pets so I think the biggie is always never leave a dog or a cat locked in a a car in hot weather not even for five minutes because the temperatures can escalate to dangerous levels and they can get heat stroke so that's the major one I will always kind of reiterate every time but other than that just make sure there's plenty of shade access to the indoors access to plenty plenty of water available um for your pets during the hot weather spell and also just be mindful of when you walk your pet so the first things first is to make sure that the the surface you're about to walk on is safe for their paws to go on so i normally say if you if you hold your your palm of your hand to let's say the road or the pavement where you're about to walk for 10 seconds and if it's still nice and comfortable it's a safe temperature for your pet to walk on but if it feels a little bit pinchy it's not a good idea 
usually I'm walking your pets early in the morning or later in the evening at the cooler parts of the day. So avoiding that kind of 12 to 3 hot point in the day. Um, but I, I'm sure everybody will have lots of fun and just stay safe in the sun. Okay. Can they burn the pads if the, if the footpath was too hot? They can. I suppose I've seen some very, very nasty injuries, particularly in the last few years. Um, burning of pads to the point where let's say the little pads themselves may may fall off and that's obviously extremely traumatic but also lots of other interesting injuries that have been very distressing for the pet and for the owner in one particular case I had a dog that was walked on a recently tarred road in hot weather and their their whole paws got covered in melted tar and it was it was very a very difficult situation for everyone involved so it is it does come along with this danger so just be really really mindful of where you walk your pet in hot weather. Okay and this is another timely one a listener says could you please ask Jane can a cat get sunburnt I have a white cat and uh, the tips of his ears can develop small little sores but it only happens in the summertime and I'm wondering is it sunburn yes so this is a really interesting one and very topical given the hot weather that's on the way yes white cats can get sunburned technically any cat that has areas of depigmented skin so white skin can get sunburned and also dogs although it's less common so the ear tips are the main thing that are of concern in cats because I suppose over time, very similar to ourselves, we always want to avoid sun damage to our skin because it can predispose us to skin cancer. So, you know, us all, we're always wearing sunscreen when we're out in the sun is really important. And for cats with white tipped ears, that's really something that should be a consideration too. So progressive sun damage um, and sunburn of the ears over a period of several years can actually predispose cats to get a type of skin cancer on the top of their ears. So I would normally recommend if you have a very light haired cat or um, a cat where they have kind of white on the tips of their ears um, or they maybe have very sparse fur on the tips of their ears, which is another possibility. There are pet safe sunscreens that are available now. I wouldn't recommend maybe using just, you know, any old human one off the shelf because sometimes they can contain ingredients that if they were licked, which is highly likely to happen in a cat, they might be not the best thing for them to ingest. So um, ask your local vet about what pet safe sunscreens might be available and I'm sure they'll be able to, to point you in the right direction. But it is really important to keep an eye on it. Those little lesions, they could just be sunburn, but if they stay there and they don't, let's say, disappear um, after the summertime, it's important to present to your vet for some sampling just in case there is precancerous changes there that need to be dealt with. Okay, stay with cats, but this is an older uh, cat. Kieran has a 19-year-old cat called Merlin. Uh, we believe he's cataracts. He's having difficulty finding his way around the house, obviously bumping into things. Is there an option for help with this condition or would there be a risk, the fact that he's a 19-year-old cat, he's an older cat? That's from Kieran in Kilworth. Okay, so Merlin sounds like he's lived quite the life of 19 years. That's a great age for a cat. Um, I suppose it can be very difficult with old age and infirmity, certain diseases may come along with that. And one of them is sight loss and cataracts. Now, sometimes there can be underlying predisposing conditions that can predispose dogs and cats to cataracts. Diabetes is a really common one, for example. However, as age kind of you know rolls on in a 19 year old cat, it may just be cataracts that have happened spontaneously. Now, that can obviously cause a lot of problems for your pet navigating um, their way around the house. A lot of cats will adapt really, really well and kind of almost make a little mind map of where they're going. So as long as the furniture doesn't move, if your cat seems happy navigating their normal area, then, you know, that may be OK and they may persist with a good quality of life. Cataract operations are possible, so that would require referral to a specialist ophthalmologist for that procedure. Now, there's some patients that would be eligible for that and some that wouldn't. And an ophthalmologist would be the best person to tell you that. 
However, one word of caution is that yes, there would always be risk involved in you know, sedation or anesthetizing a pet of that age for an operation. So a lot of the time as we age our organs, you know, time takes its toll and it may make us more fragile under anesthesia. So it's really a case of weighing up how much that side loss is impacting your pet's quality of life versus the risk and also the fact that they're getting towards the, the latter stages of their life. So how much it's going to benefit them. The one thing I would say, though, is there is a small chance it may not be cataracts. So sometimes cloudiness of the eye or the lens can be either changes on the surface of the eye. So if it's just something that's happened all of a sudden, it's really important to pop along to your vet for assessment. But also it can be just aging change within the lens and that can make it go a little bit cloudy. But a lot of the time they can actually see OK. It's kind of like us with our sight changing over time. Um, so it, there are a few possibilities. Um, and I suppose as, as pets get a little bit older, sometimes they can suffer from some kind of senility, essentially, and they can maybe appear to be kind of lost in where they are. And sometimes it can be more just their, their kind of cognitive processing. So their brain awareness of where they are versus their sight. So there's a number of things that could be going on. So I think have a good discussion with your vet about where to go from there and also a good chat about the quality of life and the impact that action might have on that. Oh, well done. And 19th, a fine, fine age yeah. uh, for, for Merlin. Now, Nora has a little curious Jack Russell um, I, tr I do my best to keep her away from nettles but she always seems to run into nettles wherever we, we are that causes her nose and snout to get burnt. Now I've been to the vet and the vet has suggested that there is an injection that you could get to ease the burning of the nettles but I'd be up and down to the vet because she's such a curious little Jack Russell. I'm wondering is there anything else that uh, that Jane could recommend that I could put on her after she gets the nettle sting? That, that's a little bit of a difficult one um, I suppose the easiest way to to avoid the burn is avoid the areas where there's lots of nettles but that may not always be possible as as you say you have a particularly curious dog so I get the feeling that they may just kind of jump into anything regardless of where they are um, I, d I didn't realise that nettles would sting a dog but they do yeah, obviously they, they can do so it may just be stinging in the classic way that if we held some nettles we'd get stung or it might just be a skin sensitivity to you and very much like an allergy so it's difficult to say without having seen the pet after one of the incidents so I'm going to leave it in the hands of your vet as probably the best person to have judged that um, it's a bit difficult there's probably nothing that you could regularly apply safely um, so I, I would say that if your vet has recommended an injection in the situation that may be the best course of action given that they've kind of seen them after one of the episodes unfortunately there's probably no quick fix here apart from avoiding avoiding the, the source of the stinging entirely which which may or may not be possible given where you live yeah and there's a lot of if you when you're out and about I was out walking you know, last weekend and they just seem to be everywhere there seems to be uh, nettles er everywhere okay Barbara has a two-year-old King Charles who she describes as being very nervous now she says this little dog has always been very nervous they realized after they purchased the dog two years ago they now believe that the dog came from a puppy farm uh, is wondering is there anything they could do to help or do they just have to live with this because unfortunately they didn't mean to but they purchased from a puppy farm will this Jack Russell always be nervous okay so this is a this is obviously quite a difficult and distressing situation for your family because obviously you really care about your pet it's obvious from from your from your note um, and obviously you want to see them be as calm as possible and if they're very nervous all of the time that that's quite a challenge to deal with within the home um dogs can be nervous for a whole different variety of reasons those that come from the puppy farms obviously they don't have a great start in life most of the time health wise 
but also psychologically it can be quite an adjustment for them to, to go into a home environment when they haven't been exposed to the normal sounds of a home within their kind of critical early months of life, which kind of teaches them what's their kind of normal baseline for what, what would normally happen in the environment around them. So you're starting off from a difficult situation. Um, my tips in this situation will be, you may always be a bit nervous. It may just be that it takes some time to settle, but if he's been with you for a little while, this may just be his his attitude to life somewhat. So I suppose having a good look at your own environment at home. Um, see, are there any particular things that stress him out? Are there easy ways of him being avoiding, avoiding being around those? So just avoiding the triggers for his stress. But also, I think one of the biggest things you could do for a really nervous dog after kind of evaluating what triggers might be causing some problems for them is give them predictability. So dogs, cats are creatures for habit. So if you can make their day as structured as possible with very little change, they will already be kind of feeling a little bit better. So just make sure they're getting up at the same time every day, going out for their walks at the same time every day, having their food at the same time every day. And that will give them a sense of structure and predictability. And sometimes that can help to ease things somewhat, but not entirely. I would say that, you know, longer term, if you want to have the best chance of overcoming this little dog struggles, given its difficult start in life, I would discuss with your vet as to who they would kind of recommend locally as a veterinary behaviorist. Because it may be that, you know, going into your own environment, seeing what triggers your dog's anxiety and being really nervous, they may be able to offer some strategies that, you know, I wouldn't maybe be able to offer in a generic situation, but might be very personal to your dog's problems that might help longer term to make him a little bit less nervous, give him some confidence um, and make life at home with him really, really nice and, and nice and easy and fun. So I think it's it's more of a long term, a long term project rather than a quick fix again. But it is, isn't it, one of the downsides to purchasing from yeah. these puppy farms? They're just not socialised. Exactly. And I suppose those little dogs, they start off in the back foot for their entire lives, health wise initially, but also kind of just behavior wise, because they, they're not really kind of exposed to a normal family, not exposed to a normal handling, not exposed to, let's say, the sound of a hoover, or the sound of the dishwasher, or the sound of kids and adults around the house. So all of these things are, are not their normal baseline for their environment. So, you know, they all can kind of come as a bit of a shock and, and can feel a little bit frightening. So it is one of the big, big downsides, yeah. so I think. I, yeah. But he's arrived into a lovely home and, and uh, you, you love him dearly, which is the main thing. But uh, Barbara, good luck with him. OK, listen, Jane, thank you for that. Have a lovely week. Enjoy the sunshine. You too. Thank you very I'm much. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Jane Fickers, the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Some of you thought, oh, here's a good one on the price of petrol and diesel. So Jay says, I just got a message to say that diesel in Rathcormac has gone down below the two euro a litre mark 199.9 maybe this is the start so keep a look out for oh, we, we want to hear about petrol stations that has petrol and diesel under the two euro uh, mark that certainly is the first that we've heard of maybe this is the beginning of it coming down ever ever so slowly and thank you to a number of people who have pointed out that Boris Johnson has either started or has already done his resignation speech with one uh, saying there was absolutely no emotion shown 
um, by Boris Johnson in his resignation speech. Didn't really expect to see a lot of emotion from him, to be honest. And and a lovely text in from Marie. This is for Brezzy, who was tweeting out this morning. He want, he's, wants to come on holidays, or is coming on holidays, to West Cork. Doesn't want all the hassle and the trauma and the stress of flying overseas. And he's decided to come to West Cork and he is looking for suggestions, please, for a chilled out and a relaxed time in West Cork. Marie says, here's a lot of ideas for Marie. West Cork ideas for you. The Baltimore Beacon at the Baltimore Harbour. There's a little blue horse trailer for coffee. I just can't remember the name. It's run by a young man all by himself. Go to Loch Ine, kayaking and swimming. Doonbeg Stone Circle. Trawlog Bay Beach, Mizzenhead, the Lagoon Activity Centre in Roscarbury, Smuggler's Cove in Roscarbury, Barley Cove Beach, Three Castle Head. There is so much more to see and do. I'm originally from North Cork, but living in Sydney and I'm in West Cork at the moment. We've visiting here for a few days with my family. It is beautiful here, says Marie. And we've had fabulous weather all week long. Just wish we had more time to explore. Definitely would recommend a holiday in West Cork. That's from Marie via North Cork via Sydney. Good to know that you are enjoying your holiday, Marie. A suggestion for Brezzy. Visit Inchigila. It's beautiful, lovely people. And that's from somebody who's living on the north side of Cork City. Thank you for that. Okay, that's where we leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 for the last one of the week. today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.